If you, if you happen to be new with us, this is part two of a session on interpreting um, and understanding the Bible and teaching the Bible. Um, you're going to want to pick up the session notes from part one. Um, if you didn't do that, then make sure you do that because that I'm only going to casually reference that and then we're going to move into how do we teach the Bible? How do we, te- how we take what we've done interpretation and move it into into teaching. It's not that that other part doesn't matter, it's just that this is a two-part session. And so um, I want you to get those notes because then they'll be beneficial for you. This is also being recorded, uh, as all the sessions are, uh, which means that you don't have to um, cram. You can just um, engage thoughtfully and... um, Okay, 3.15. Don't let me let them out early again. Looking at you, okay? <laughs> you can, sure. Go for it. I'm entirely confident saying, I don't know. I do Q&A with Chi Alpha, two different Chi Alpha groups, uh, where college students just ask me questions and I answer them. And uh, how, do bi- how do dinosaurs fit in the Bible? I don't know. The Bible doesn't talk about it. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, there's no Bible answer, so I don't have to answer that question. I don't know. What's the text say? It doesn't say anything. Yep. All right. Look at you, Gary, and all your. Oh, see, so this is the best thing, right? I come in here. Oh, you have no identity. And, and then and they say, "What's your name?" I said, I, I go Gary. So I thought I'm you should gonna, put really fill that right up. here. Should be like Hannah's dad. Well, that's because that's true. really the yeah. That's true, right? So when I did that, when I filled these out this morning, I put them on. I can't remember who was it that saw me first and said, "Great idea." <laughs> that's good. That's good. So, All right. <laughs> Your husband. Doing good. How are you? I just feel like I know you. I know I don't. Where are you from? I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Well, I live in Aurora, so. I don't know. Maybe I see you. Where, what church are you part of in Cleveland? I'm part of Willow Craze now, but I used to oh, be in okay. City Beach. Okay. So you just feel familiar. Well. Maybe because we're in the same. Hopefully, it's a good familiar. Yes. Okay. Okay. Not one of those bad familiars. Where like that guy's creepy. You know? No. No. no nothing like that. Okay. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's a joy. <clears throat> Don't want to train more than one. That makes me so happy. All right. All right. You are in Understanding, Interpreting, and Teaching, which is where we're going to talk about today, the second session, Teaching. Teaching the Bible. Um, how we do that, like I said a moment ago, if you popped in, uh, you should be able to grab the session notes, not just from part two here, but from part one, where we talked really as fast as we could about how to interpret the Bible. Um, understand, um, obviously everybody in this room has a little different uh, interaction. We have some, some lead pastors, I think, in the room. I know we have at least one. Um, 
and we've got maybe staff pastors, some people that have ministerial credentials or on staff at a church, a lot of you, um, local church leaders, and you're teaching Sunday school, you're leading a small group, um, you're doing various things, and we have the responsibility, all of us together, of taking the text of, of the Bible and making it um, impact the hearts of those that are hearing us. Um, and uh, we need to do that in an engaging way. We need to do that in an engaging way for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jesus was engaging. So if we want to be like Jesus, then we cannot bore people with the Bible. Okay? It's a sin to bore people with the Bible. Okay? Okay? And so we don't want to be boring. We want to be engaging. We want to be like Jesus. So don't be boring. Now, we can walk out now. Already be done? Okay, good. Um, so the process for teaching the Bible... Um, has three movements to it. The first movement is what we spent the last session on, which is preparation. We, we don't work... In that, that phase of um, our work, we're not so much concerned with our audience yet. We're entirely concerned with the text of the Bible. Okay? That interpretation phase, that, that phase that we just spent all that time on, those five C's, where we look at literary context and cross-references and culture, and we're asking questions and coming to conclusions, that whole section um, is all about study, 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 study. Okay? Um, the next phase of our work is to actually prepare the presentation. To take that work that we've done in determining the meaning of the passage and putting it into a format that is consumable, that we can understand um, and, and others can understand. And then the final phase um, is the delivery phase, where we take all of that work and we actually stand up in front of people and we talk. Okay? Um, unfortunately, I don't have enough time. Uh, that would be like session number three to talk about the actual delivery. I'll have a couple of bonus uh, content items here, uh, but really, I can't dig deep on how do we actually deliver the message that we've prepared or the talk that we've prepared or the presentation, the teaching, whatever it may be. We're going to look at how it's formatted, how we get to delivering um, our uh, message from the text. Okay, And so we're going to look at several keys um, to engage in communication. We want to be engaging because, number one, Jesus wasn't boring. Number two, we are not simply um, disseminating information. Okay, uh, I, I have sat in those sermons. I've sat in those classes. I've been in that small group where the, the presenter is like just letting information fall out of their mouth. And you're just like, and it's just boring. I mean, just awful. It's disconnected. It's not engaging. And therefore, if it's not engaging, what do I not want to do? I don't want to apply it. I don't want to do anything with it. Right? So we want to be more than just information transfers. We want to be people who work for transformation. It's not about information transfer. Teaching and preaching is not about informing people to look more like Jesus. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit transforms us through His Word, right? And so we're not just packaging it in a creative way or helpful way. We're trying to help bring transformation. Transformation. God doesn't just want you to be better at your life right now. He didn't die on the cross so that you could be better. He died on the cross so that you could be transformed, okay? And so that's our objective when we preach and teach and share in life groups and small groups and all of those areas. 
Um, so there are some things that, man, this is not an exhaustive list, man. I, I'm almost like, what am I doing talking about this? Because, man, there are a thousand good preachers and teachers out there that are so much more qualified than me to be able to stand in this room. But here are some things that I have observed in my life um, that have helped me um, have preaching or teaching that sticks in the hearts of people. Um, nothing is more frustrating when, when if you, especially if you're, you've taught, you've preached or whatever, you put 10, 15, 20 hours of work into a message only for someone to have forgotten it before they left church. <laughs> now, it happens, okay? It happens to me every week. I, I'm in counseling because of it. You know, like, that, I, like you know. But, but listen, we can help this. We can help this, okay? So here's some keys. The first one is do the prep work. All of that work that I talked about, um, all the interpretation work, all the effort, all the energy, I, I could see where, what, if you sat through that last session and go, man, what you just described is a lot of work. And I go, yup. Listen, if you are going to stand in front of people and share the word of God and be, be the, the herald of God, man, don't take that lightly. Don't take... 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show yourself approved. A workman who needs not be ashamed. Accurately dividing the word of truth. Right? Study is a part of this deal. If you're not willing to do the work, then please don't get behind the pulpit. Don't get behind the platform. Don't get behind the, the, mic, the, the music stand. That's what I use on Sunday morning. Don't get behind any of that stuff because you have no business being there. Because this is serious work. This is serious work that we're doing when we teach. It doesn't mean that God's not called you. It doesn't mean that you should feel walk out of the room going, I shouldn't do this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, do the work of getting into that passage so that what happens when you get there is that you fade into the background and Jesus gets the foreground. That only happens when you've done the work in the text. And it's not just doing the, the kind of academic work or the schoolwork of digging through historical context or reading books or doing the study. It's the work of prayer. Of praying the text. Which leads nicely to my second idea. Um, which is, make, and this is counterintuitive right here. This is opposite of what I've been told my entire life as a preacher. Okay? Make your preparation a part of your devotional life. Make your preparation a part of your devotional life. Okay? Notice we haven't even started thinking about yet in our preparation work the person who we're speaking to. I've been told my whole, my whole preaching life um, that my devotional life should be separate from, from my preaching life. I should go to the text here, and there's a reason for that. Hang in here with me. I understand what they're doing. I should go to text here and study and get in my, stay in the Word myself. And then I'm going to go over here to prepare the sermon. And the reason for that is because a lot of preachers, what can happen is, and teachers, if you do it every week, um, what happens is, is uh, where's my Bible? It's in here somewhere. Okay, this is my Bible. So a lot, a lot of preachers, um, teachers... I have so many, every week, you know, I have this homiletics professor, preaching professor who said Sunday comes with a frightening regularity, okay? Um, that's real. Every week there's a Sunday, okay? Um, as soon as I'm done with one, I've got to do another one. You know, that's how it works. So what happens is, if you're not careful, and this can happen, is you go text, right? 
and you go right to the audience. Can't work that way. So you got to go here, to here, to here. Here, to here, to here. This then becomes a part of your devotional life. So your preparation works on you because you can't see it affecting anybody unless it's affected you. Unless it's changed you. In fact, that's the greatest way to become a Pharisee is to tell other people what they should do and have it not affect you. The text has to affect you. You can tell the difference. Because we've all been in that sermon when, man, it was polished. It was sharp. But you could tell it didn't affect the preacher. And we've been in that sermon that was clunky and broken. And man, they were a mess. But you knew that the book had changed their heart. And so that overcame everything. Listen, you want powerful preaching and teaching that sticks, then you have got to let the text stick to you. It's got to stick in your heart. So you've got to study, 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 study. You've got to prepare like crazy. And you've got to understand your audience. You've got to understand who it is you're speaking to. Uh, I have a, a team of preachers that I meet with every single week. Um, because I, my church is a multi-site church, and we preach through books of the Bible. Um, and that, the way that that works for us is we start in one book, and we preach it until we're done, and then we start another one. That's essentially the whole pattern that we do every single week. So I have a team of preachers. All of our campuses have live preaching, and so on Monday mornings I meet with our preachers, and I, I walk through the text with them, and we, we collaborate together. And um, one of the things that we do, and I tell them all the time, is that preaching um, has to provide on-ramps. So I want you to imagine, maybe you're not from Columbus, I'm actually not from Columbus, um, but around Columbus there is a loop around Columbus called 270, okay? Um, it goes around Columbus. If you're in Cincinnati, it's 275. Cleveland, it's weird. So um, <laughs> it's like... 480, 90, 271, it's like several highways. 70, yeah, you got it, right? So it kind of goes around the whole, so um, to Cleveland, we're just weird in Cleveland, okay? That's just what we are. So, um, but you can imagine um, teaching and preaching, understanding your audience, like building on-ramps. Every single person you speak to um, in any venue you speak in um, has to be able to have an on-ramp to whatever you're talking about. That's pretty tricky, isn't it? I think about what I do every single week when I preach. I've got everybody from 12 years old to at least 85 or 86. Okay? I've got men, I've got women, I've got people who are from the United States and about 11 other nations who are not from the United States. Okay? I've got people who walk in who have whole families and I've got people who walk in that have broken families. I've got people who walk in addiction-free, and i got people walking with addiction. i got people who are Christians, and i got people who aren't Christians. And you know what? Every single one of them deserves to hear the word of the Lord that morning and understand it. So my task, and it's a tough one, is to understand my audience in such a way that I give everyone an on-ramp to get on the loop. They may not understand everything, but sure as shooting, they better understand something. Now, this is not as hard as you think it is, okay? So you sit back and go, how is that possible? How am I supposed to speak to the 55-year-old guy who just bought a, you know, a red sports car because he's going through this crisis in his life? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I might like... I didn't, I didn't get it. <laughs> so, so listen, 
and then talk to the 14-year-old who's got God knows what going on in their life. How, how, how is that supposed to happen? It's not as hard as you think. Okay? Um, here's what you've got to do. You've got to do the work to make sure that even people who don't understand, understand. So I'm preaching through the book of Acts right now in my church. And so commonly I'll refer to the author who the author of the book of Acts is Luke. So sometimes what can happen in preaching is we go, well, Luke says this. And then that person who's never been in church goes, who in the heck is Luke? When a simple action for me giving an on-ramp, this is not hard, is saying the author of the book of Acts, Luke. And I'll say it every time. Instead of just saying Luke, I say the author of the book of Acts. His name is Luke. He's a medical doctor. He wrote these things about this. In that, in that literal five-second phrase, I gave them an on-ramp into the conversation. I gave them a hook into the conversation. They're now a part of it. They're now part of the story. Before, if I just referenced Luke, or if I just referenced Paul, or if I just referenced Jeremiah or Isaiah, all the church people in the house are going, mm-hmm. Right? But that person who desperately needs to know is going, I don't know. But you know what they're doing? And this is the crazy thing, because I've been around church long enough. They're going, mm-hmm. You know why? Because everybody's going, mm-hmm. So they walk out unchanged and unaffected and you don't even know it because they don't want to feel like the odd person out. You've got to understand your audience. You've got to understand who you're preaching to. Um, the way to phrase this, and you heard, I promised last session I wouldn't use this word, but we exegete the text. We interpret the text. But what you've got to do is exegete the audience. What you've got to do is interpret your audience. Because a message is only as good as its reception. Many times. So who are we talking to when we speak? Well, there are four types of listeners or hearers. Four types of hearers in um, every, every setting. Um, if I had four people in the room, there would be four types of hearers. Um, the first one is the person who hears what you're saying with their mind. Here's what you're saying with their mind. These are, um, these are a certain kind of intellectual. Uh, when I talk about um, historical context, or I talk about, um, you know, and there's this Greek phrasing here that means something really powerful. These, they sit up in their chair because they are the uber nerds, okay? And I'm one of those, okay? So, if you're that person, I'm your people, okay? Um, but listen, it's not just that they like it. Hear me. It's not just that they like when you do that, when you dig deep, when you pull the pieces and parts together, when you, when you, you act thoughtfully, you use statistical data, and you do all this stuff. It's, not, it's that they are being fed by it. That they actually are wired by God to understand spirituality in that way. To understand how they grow in Jesus Christ because God has wired them that way. So that they can grow through their minds. Now, everybody needs to grow through their mind, right? But these people are wired that way. They hear that way through their mind. And so if you come in and go, we don't need none of that book learning, you just locked that person out. You just locked them out. You, you don't get them back. Okay? You get what I'm saying? Second group is those people who, who hear your message, your sermon, your teaching with their heart. Um, these are the people that love stories. Oh my goodness, they love stories. They engage with your sermon, your teaching, your talk emotionally. Okay? And so if you're all, if you're all statistics and numbers and dry, I mean, information, they will shrivel up and die. Okay? 
Because they are emotional people. That's not a bad thing. God made people with emotion. People that see the world with emotion, that's okay. Many times they're the counselors. Many times they're the empathetic people. These are the people that, that people love to hang out with. People don't like to hang out with me. They like to hang out with my wife. She's way cooler, right? Because she thinks through the world emotionally, emotionally. This is worth story. This is, Jesus got this, man. He was so good at this. This is why there's 37 parables in the New Testament. Because he knew that there were people who, who latched on the story. And they don't just hear the story. They put themselves in it. They're a character in it. They can see, they can smell, they can taste. They can do all this stuff. And so for you, for you, you've got to learn that they're in the room. And they deserve to hear the word of the Lord. So you got the person who, drink, who, who hears with their mind. they got the person who hears with their heart. You have the person who hears with their soul. This is that philosophical person. That theological person, okay? This is that person who has, is entirely conceptual. They don't care about the Greek or Hebrew stuff, but you say the word incarnation, and their face lights up. They, talk, they, they think deep thoughts. Deep thoughts. Deep, 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 deep. They love to talk in that language. That person is sitting in your room. And this, what I'm telling you right now, the stuff that you have here in front of you has little to do with education and far more to do with their wiring. Because I have sat with guys. I've got one that comes to my mind right now. Um, he is a roofer, retired roofer. Um, he is his blue collar. Finished high school, went to the Navy. Um, fought in Vietnam. He's, he's blue collar, right? But he's a deep philosophical. He would never say that about himself. That's how his heart's wired. It's the deep, deep words of Scripture. The deep concepts of Scripture. He's there. He's sitting in the back every Sunday. He wants to be touched at a deep level. The, the fourth group is those people who hear your message, hear your talk with their hands. This is the people who are like, just tell me what to do already. Okay, quit talking about it. I don't want to hear about the incarnation. I don't even give a rip about the Hebrew. Um, and that story, get, get to the point, man. Tell me how to do this. Tell me how to do this. Right? All four of these people are in every one of the presentations you're in. Right? They're, they're in this room right now. Okay? And so what you've got to do when you're preparing is understand your audience so that you're giving them on-ramps into the conversation so that you think through the presentation in light of them. You take all that work you did in understanding the text, all that work you did, did in coming to conclusions and getting meaning, and you drive that into, okay, so how would this person need to hear this? You know, one of the ways to do this is to pray. This is a, a bit of an antiquated phrase. I get it, okay? But to pray the directory. I know not every church, most... Okay, no churches have a directory anymore. Um, but the idea, the idea here is that you visualize the people that are in the room. Visualize what, how they're going to hear it. And then think, how would I need to present this so that they can hear most effectively? How would they process this information? I'm going to preach and teach with empathy, which means that I'm going to l think about how they're hearing this. Okay? So, that's, that's number, number three. Uh, number four, 
is evaluate before you present. Evaluate before you present. One of the things that can happen is as you're presenting, and everybody presents a little different way. There is no right way as far as how to prepare. Um, for a long time, I manuscripted, which means I wrote out every word of the message that I would preach. Okay, I don't do that anymore. Okay, uh, in fact, if you saw what I would go to the stage with, you'd be amazed. It's uh, in a paper notebook. Um, if I. I have it print, I have it like digital right here for you guys just because I've already made it. But this is what I would normally go with. This is me right here. Anybody else analog? Come on. Right? I'm analog. Okay. This is okay. This is me. This is me. It's chaos. I, I, I'm, it's like my own language because I'm the only one that can read it. But um, this is me. That, that's not what we're talking about here. How you get there, it doesn't matter. But evaluate before you present... Um, and you need to ask yourself some key questions because what can happen is when you go from understanding and you go into preparation, you're thinking of, is that you can actually lose things along the way without even knowing it. And these, these questions, these diagnostic questions help you make sure that you don't lose some stuff along the way. Okay? So I ask myself these questions almost every single message. After I feel like I'm done, like when I get to the end, I've done all... I, Here's what I ask. Um, what of substance will my teaching, my preaching say about God? I know that sounds crazy, but I've listened to a lot of sermons lately that say nothing about God. That happens a lot. We talk a lot about us, a lot about what we should do, but say nothing of God. Listen, you need to talk about God. Okay? Can, can we just say that again? You need to talk about God! Okay? I know that sounds crazy that I have to say that out loud, but I've listened to enough messages that I have to say that out loud. You have to talk about God. The second question is a lot like it. How is Jesus the hero of the story I'm teaching? How is Jesus the hero of the story I'm teaching or preaching? Many times, we move into this um, kind of moralism we, we teach, and we look at a passage and go, um, I, I want to talk about Gideon. So I, we, can, we can be like Gideon in that Gideon, well, we probably shouldn't always be like Gideon, but, um, but sometimes we can be like Gideon in the good parts where he trusted God and he did what he asked him to do, right? Well, that's not it at all. Because that message makes me the hero of the story. That if I just work hard enough, I can be better. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel at all. You're not the hero of your own story. You're not the hero of your movie. You're barely an extra. <laughs> Jesus is the hero. You heap that burden on somebody who's, who's a single mom who's barely making it, and all she can walk out of the room with is, I can't possibly do that. But if you come in and preach a message and teach a message that says, Jesus is your hero, and He can lift your burdens, that will make her walk out and go, Thank God! Because I don't have to carry that. Jesus is my hero. Jesus should always be taught in every single message, every single te teaching you have. Jesus is the hero. You're not the hero. The pastor's not the hero. The person's not the hero. Jesus is the hero. And so you should ask yourself the question, how is Jesus the hero? Because if he's not, and you haven't made him that yet, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. The third question that I ask 
is, is my presentation good news? Uh, a few years ago, when I was young, a preacher, I, I had a great pastor who let me preach a lot and, and then would evaluate me a lot. And he said um, to me, Josh, every message has to be good news. And at first I was like, well, what if I'm talking about sin? What if I'm talking about... He said, well, it's still got to be good news. Because the gospel is good news. If you leave people with the bad news, well, what good is that? Every, every sermon, every teaching has to be good news. You're going to talk about sin, and you should. You better talk about how Jesus saves them from their sin. Because that's the gospel. Gospel, literally, euangelion, means good news. The teaching you do, the preaching you do, has got to be good news. And so, I ask myself the question, is this good news? Is this something where I go, yes, you're a sinner. And they go, yeah, man, I am a sinner. I'm a mess. But then I go, hey, I got good news. Jesus Christ offers hope. He offers salvation. He offers redemption. And they walk out with their hearts full because they're not carrying the burden of their sin anymore. It's got to be good news. The um, fourth question I ask is, what do I want people to know? What do I want people to feel? And why, why, what do I want people to do? Okay? Um, this does not come from any preaching class that I've ever had or theologian. It actually comes from Aristotle, um, who wrote a long, long time ago about the art of persuasion. He would use different words, logos, pathos, and ethos. Um, what do I want them to know? Logos. What do I want them to know? Um, there is a sense in which you've got to teach them something new, that you've got to give them something, right? Um, so you're going to you're going to teach them something. There's some information transfer. We're not about information transfer as an end to itself, but you have to transfer information. Right? What do I want them to feel? God made people with emotions. Okay? Don't be afraid of that. What do I want them to feel? Another way to say this is, what's the why? What's the why? Why should they pay attention? Another way to look at some of these questions is, what's, what, so what, and now what? What? Information. So what? Why should I even be paying attention right now? Why should I even be listening to you right now? Right? I gotta, I gotta get their heart. Because um, people are not brains on a stick. They're, they're drawn and they change because of the affections of their heart changing. So, so what? And then what I want them to do? Now what? Now what? How do they walk this out? How do they operationalize this? How do I actually see the world now that I've seen a greater understanding of sanctification? What do I what do, I do as a process? Because you know, there is a sense in which um, you know, faith produces good works. Right? We're not saved by works, but it produces good works. And so let's help them with the practices. How do I walk this out? How do I ex access this? Especially as we're talking about those access points, those on-ramps, the application piece, this, the now what piece is so important. Because so many folks, man, we heard a great sermon, and their hearts are moved. They're going, I don't have any idea how to do this. Help them with the how. Help them with what they do now. Okay? So I evaluate before I present. My, my friend, who's not in the room right now, he was in the first session, David Clayton, reminded me of this phrase last week. I talked to him on the phone. He said, if, or, um, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pews. 
And so the next idea, after we evaluate before we present, is we understand our message. We understand our presentation. We understand what we're teaching. That sounds silly because we've done all this work. But one of the things I see so commonly is when a, when a, when a presenter, a teacher, or a preacher will get up and they will um, they'll lock themselves into the pulpit and their face is here and not here. Right? You know why that is? Well, one of the reasons is nerves. Right? The second reason is they don't understand the message. They haven't internalized it. They haven't put it down into their heart. They don't know what I call the movements of the message. So, so the way I preach, I don't preach with notes. Um, it's not because I'm rambling. It's because I'm working really hard. Because I have this conviction that says, if I don't understand it and internalize it, then how am I expecting anybody else to? So if I had to stand up there with notes, well, what are they going to do? Right? They've got to internalize this just as much as me. So what I do, this is a little, little tip trick thing. I understand my message. So I know that there are movements to my message. Right? I'll have a block here. And I know that to get from here to this next block, I need a transition. I need to land the plane somewhere here. And I need to move here. So this phrase, so what I need to know in each movement is where I'm landing the plane in that section. What do I need to get to? Okay? So I'll start with an illustration at the beginning maybe in some sermons, not all of them. I need to know where that illustration's going. Where do I need to bring that to? Because I've got to bring it somewhere. That means that the details between here and here are not as important as where I land the plane. Okay? And then I move it to my next area, which is that next block. Okay? And I understand that one too. Okay? And then I go to the next one. And when I understand my message, then it will be internalized and it, I'll be clear. The clearer I am, the clearer it will come out. Okay? The clearer I am. So you have to understand it. You have to get your hands around it. So it's inside of you. It's inside of you. You could tell. So tomorrow, I'm preaching on Acts chapter 4, the last half of Acts chapter 4, when they, they have just been arrested and released. I'm preaching on the prayer. And I'm talking about how to be a Christian in a culture that doesn't align with you. Okay? So we're going to talk about how the church's response, as opposed to all of our responses, is to gather and pray in the face of a culture that doesn't want them to preach. So they gather and pray. And what do they pray? They pray about the sovereignty of God. What does sovereignty mean? Sovereignty means that God is in control, so it means He's not worried and He has a plan. What's next? They, what's the next thing they pray about? Well, they talk about um, how, how they need boldness. How in light of God's sovereignty, they can be confident to know that God will work and they pray for power. So instead of posting a meme on Facebook, instead of organizing a political action committee, they gather and they pray. And that's how we respond to a culture that doesn't want us to preach. See what I just did there? That's what I'm going to say tomorrow. You know how I got there? I understand the different movements of the message. I spent the time there. Does that make sense? That means what you do um, in a practical sense is I whittled these sections down to a phrase. Not to multiple points. Not to multiple points. To a phrase. To a phrase. 
And that's the phrase that I will say over and over and over and over again. Tomorrow I will say, God is sovereign. Probably about 50 times. Because what do I want them to walk away with? God is sovereign. He's got a plan. He's in control. Okay? You see what I'm saying? I understand it. I understand it down to the simple level. You'll help people if you understand your message. The next thing is practice. <laughs> practice. I probably preach my message on a weekend twice before I actually preach my message. Now that doesn't mean that I stand in front, because I, I used to do this. It's so stupid. Um, I stand in front of a mirror, right, and preach it. So I can see my mannerisms and see, and sometimes it's helpful, don't that's not what it meant. It means that the, the dashboard of my car gets most of my messages. Right? Um, on, on the drive. On the drive all week long. There's nobody in the car. See, it used to be, uh, before Bluetooth and all that stuff, that if you talked to yourself in the car, people thought you were crazy. Well, now it's okay. Okay? You're not crazy anymore. That's a great place. That's a great place. I know everybody is a, a, a full-time pastor in the room. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher in the room. Hey, listen, you've got a commute. Use that commute to the glory of Jesus Christ and practice what you are about to say. If you can't remember what you should have said, that may be a point at which you're not understanding your message well enough yet. The other reason why um, practicing is so helpful is because, especially in the days when I manuscripted my message, I wrote everything out, there are things that are really easy to read that are not easy to say. So when you write it down, it looks really, really good. You say it out loud and you're like, oh, I don't like that, right? And so, the only way to figure that out is to actually talk it out and to practice it, okay? You practice, 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 practice through the process. Now, don't, don't lose the first parts of this process. As you study, 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 pray, 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 and allow it to touch your heart. That happens through this whole process. Don't think for one moment... That I'm saying prayer is just one step of the process. It really, it's kind of the soup of the process. It's the broth. Everything kind of goes in prayer. Everything kind of goes in the study. Um, so don't lose that. Okay, two more things. We'll open up for questions. I've got some resources on some good communicating books. One of them um, is Biblical Preaching by Haddon Robinson. Uh, it's a preaching book, but it's a phenomenal book. It, it would work for teaching. He talks about all kinds of good stuff in it great book. The second is Communicating for a Change by Andy Stanley. Um, he does a really good job of providing a, a kind of helpful framework um, and, and understanding how communication actually works. I, I love the book. Um, I found it to be very helpful. Um, and, and the model is, is pretty great. So, um, Bonus content for delivery. I told you we can't talk about this much, but here are two things. If you want to get better at delivery, it's painful. Hear me. Getting better at delivery hurts your ego. Okay? The first thing you've got to do is videotape yourself when you're presenting and watch every painful minute of it. I watch myself every single week. I have watched myself every single week for the past 10 years. Every single sermon. And there are times in which I want to die watching myself. When I do some weird hand gesture, I'm like, what was that? Do you have a tick? Like, what was going on there? Like, like you know, like, what? I, there, are, there are days in which I, I, weeks and I go, I don't even know why they pay me to do this. Right? Like, 
what's happening here? Okay? Um, then there are weeks, and this is why watching yourself regularly teach and preach is good, when I thought I totally turfed a sermon. I thought, man, I, I need to go sell insurance because this is terrible. Okay? Um, then I watched the sermon and I realized, okay, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that terrible. I was feeling this on the inside, but it didn't come out on the outside. Watching your messages, watching your teaching is very, very, very helpful. Um, it'll show you the mannerisms. It'll show you that uh, I have a, one of my campus pastors um, who I was watching one of his messages and he, he uses the word like, like a thousand times every sentence. And I watched one of his messages. I could barely watch two minutes of it. And so we had our next preacher's meeting and I met with him one-on-one -on -one and said, if you say like again, I'm going to hit you in the head. <laughs> You're killing me right now. Not about his content. But I said, this is so obnoxious. If I can't handle it, nobody else can. So you know what happened? He stopped saying it. He stopped saying it. He started watching his message. And once I pointed out to him, he watched his message. And he's like, oh my gosh, I can't even handle this. Watch your message and then have someone else evaluate you. Don't let this be your spouse. <laughs> They'll evaluate no matter what, right? My, my, um, my wife is nothing but encouragement on Sunday. That's, that's, that's her job for me, is to make me feel good about myself, right? Other people that I trust, that are knowledgeable, that are, trust, that are my friends, not the cranky people, okay? They're, they're critical in their spirit, but trusted friends who will come and go, this right here, ah, it's distracting. This right here could have been more helpful if you did this. And this right here was lights out awesome. I love that. Right? The, that will help your delivery. That will help your delivery in better ways than probably anything else that you do. So we have, how long? What, we've got 3.15, right? Three? What's the, I let you guys out early. 3.15. Questions. Questions. Yeah, um, that's a. That one's the murkiest one of them all. Um, that one's the murkiest one of them all. Um, so I want to use a message. Um, I want to connect to deep cultural ideas. I want to um, think um, systemic. Um, these things that run through as a thread. Um, so tomorrow, I talked to you about my message I'm preaching. The person who. Um, the person who sees with their soul or hears with their soul is the person who, when I talk about tomorrow, the, the ways in which culture has positioned themselves. What I'm going to say tomorrow is I'm going to talk about the kingdoms of this world being against the kingdom of God. That, that phrasing for that, that kind of person is like they see it in a big cosmic kind of way. It's almost like the person who listens with their soul peels back the curtain almost in every conversation. They just pull it back to see a larger picture, see themes, see threads, the ideas in a way that, that, that are deep. To, like they're the person that you're just like, oh my gosh, it's probably not that big of a deal. They're feeling it. They're feeling it, but they're feeling it at a conceptual level, not necessarily an emotional level. If I come in and go, um, the difference here would be tomorrow is giving a specific reference to a way in which the culture has been oppositional. 
right? That person who hears with their heart goes, oh, there's a story. That's specific. If I come in and bring a statistic, brain. But if I come in and talk about kingdom versus kingdom, that's when that soul person comes in and goes, ooh, yeah, I get that. I see that because I'm a person that likes to see the thing behind the thing. This is actually that. Does that make sense? Any other questions? observation to agree with what you said. Um, I've, I've noticed over the years that if I'm listening to somebody preach or teach and if they're confusing me, that's probably because they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, it seriously is. Yeah, you bet. Uh, somebody who really knows what they're talking about can explain some of the, the deepest theological things and they come across so simple. Absolutely. And you say, well, of course, it's, it's just obvious. You know? mm-hmm. that, that's because they know what they're talking about. Yeah. That's, that's a real truth. That's, and it's absolutely, I, I think about, I had a, a guy named uh, Doug Ose, who's uh, one of the key faculty at, uh, someone's got theological seminary. Uh, Dr. Ose translated First and Second Corinthians for the New Living Translation. So he is a, a real deal scholar, okay? Um, he came and preached on Pentecost at my church um, several years ago. And I had never heard someone put it so clearly, to your point, where he, here's a guy that knows, has forgotten more than I'll know in my whole lifetime. But he had spent so much time in the Word, so much time pouring over these passages, so much time in study, so much time in prayer, so much time wrestling these things out, that when he communicated, because he had spent all the time, he got it right down to the level. Um, you, you know, another practice that I would say, if you're struggling with doing what um, Pastor said back there, um, what, what you need to do, because um, I'm a dad, I have a 10-year-old, and I have a, I'm getting ready to be 8-year-old. Talk the Bible and theology with someone who's about that age. You want to figure out how to distill it down? Talk to a kid. Talk to a kid. Um, some of the best conversations I've ever had about the Trinity are with my 10-year-old. Um, it frustrates the devil out of him when he's like, I don't understand it. I'm like, you understand it finally. You know, like, you get it. You don't understand it. Yeah, you know, like that. But having those, well, I have to clarify and I have to clarify and I have to clarify and I have to get it down to a con- consumable format. If you're struggling, with the premier parents' permission, <laughs> go and talk. Be a child, kids' ministry volunteer. Can I get what, what? From a, yeah, 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 yeah. All the children's people like, yeah, do this. I'll let you, you know. Please, come, you know. That's so helpful. Because what you're doing is you're bringing it down to, to its, its rudimentary levels, to its stuff that actually matters. You're cutting off the fluff, cutting off all the fringe, and you're getting the real stuff out there. Another question, yeah. Man, I'll say this. Here, my opinion. Topical sermons are infinitely more challenging than a sermon or teaching 
that is, um, that is working in a single passage. Um, because it's so much easier to, when I come up with an idea, topical, I, the idea, the difference is, for those that are here, that the, um, a topical, um, what we call expository, takes a single passage, take one passage, and I work everything, everything comes out of that passage. Okay, I stay there. Um, topical, what I do instead is, instead of saying, hey, we're going to start the text and let the text produce the content, we're going to start with an idea. And I'm going to start with, a, 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 um, you know, here's my, the proposition that I have is this. And I've got these three ideas about that idea. Then I need to go in and find scripture that helps to support these ideas. Okay? Um, that's not a wrong way to do it. It's just a lot more work. A lot more work. And so, it just takes the, what you do in all the expository stuff, you have to do, really, to do this right, you have to do this in each one of those passages and make sure that, I'll get you in a second, um, I'll, make sure that, um, that the passage that you're using is actually talking about that thing. That's probably the most important thing. Um, is It's easy um, to, to take a passage and go, I used in the first session, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, that passage is talking about contentment in, in meager times. We use that verse as a, I can overcome in life uh, through Jesus. That's true. <laughs> That's true. It's just not what that passage is talking about. So we have to go and use passages to actually talk, because otherwise, again, we're talking about God's Word. God's Word. Not our Word. God's Word. And so we can't just let it, we can't get adjacent. That's not good enough. Are we going to get it wrong? You betcha. Do you think any preacher has ever been 100% or even like 90%? If I'm shooting at 70%, I'm happy. Okay? Because I figure that I'm getting it wrong at least one out of every three times. But, um, but the idea is that I don't come to the text with my agenda. In this, top, in this topical approach, I just have to really be careful not to come to the text with my agenda and impose into the text my ideas. That can never be the posture. I am under. <laughs> I am under this. Right? Um, and so you can do it. You just have to be really do a lot of work to it. Yeah. Last week I took a class with Dr. Oast. And talking about if I'm doing expository message from a passage of the Old Testament, to truly make Jesus the hero, I'm going to have to show them how this rolls itself out into the New Testament and vice versa. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, are you in a master's or a doctoral program? Yeah. Um, it's Pentecostal like uh, theology or biblical, biblical theology. yeah, biblical theology class. So, um, so yes, Jesus, remember we talked about Jesus is the hero of the story. Um, so let's take a classic one uh, while we're here. I want to have some fun. Let's have some fun. David and Goliath. <laughs> David and Goliath. This is an easy one. David and Goliath is a story. I've heard this sermon. I preached this sermon. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I preached this sermon. You have Goliaths in your life. You've got challenges. You've got things that are bearing down upon you, that are pressing upon you, right? Um, and God can give you the power to overcome the Goliaths in your life. So who's the hero in that story? Well, I make me the hero of that story. Because David, if you know this, David beats Goliath. Okay? 
that's not how we preach David and Goliath. Okay? Because I'm not the hero of the story, right? Jesus is the hero of the story. So who is the new and better David? It's Jesus. I'm, at best, an Israelite who's afraid on the hill. I might be a Philistine on the other side of the hill. Right? That's where I am in this story. I'm the one that's afraid. Jesus is the hero. He's the one who beats the giants. We're not the ones who beat the giants. That's how we make Jesus the hero of these stories. Is that Jesus, whatever figure is the center, Moses, um, all, all of the Old Testament stories. You can pick the, pick the heroes. Okay, um, Joshua, um, all of those guys. They're, they're what's called types. Types. They're intended to be be forerunners to who would later pick, him, pick up the bigger, all the pieces and do it perfectly. What they did with a shadow, he does imperfect, right? And so when you're preaching these passages, be mindful to make Jesus the hero of the story. Don't make us in the center of the story. Talk about how Jesus defeats and the way that we get behind Jesus, right? See that the pivot there? So much more powerful and so much more empowering um, to people who don't feel like they can do it. Um, because if Jesus is the hero, which he is, he wins every time. There's not a time in which Jesus doesn't win. Does that make sense? I just want to point out when we talk about children's ministry that that's important to teach children's ministry because everything you're saying is so important. And I like I think I've seen in the past several years that Jesus is my superhero theme a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that really changed maybe some of the ways that the current AG curriculum, uh, True Fire, um, is built on this. God is the hero of every story. That's one of the reasons why my church went with it, was because God is the hero of every story. I want to teach, my sons are in it. I want my sons to know that God is the hero of every story. Um, and so, yes, I think um, if you're a Kidman person, it doesn't get you off the hook with the study. Sometimes I've heard that. Or youth, I'm just a youth pastor. Well, um, I've got a son who's getting ready to go into youth ministry, and I would really prefer it if you spent some time in the Word as a dad. Okay? I really want that. If you're teaching my kids, boy, I bet I, you may not talk about all the, all the stuff that I talk about with adults, but I want you the same themes and same ideas, same big ideas. You're probably not going to talk about Greek and Hebrew, but I sure want you to talk about the, the stuff that's actually in the passage. You teach them the Word. You, you don't get to just be. Um, in fact, I would argue the most important teaching that happens on Sunday morning is, is in the kids', the kids wing of the, of the building. Um, because what someone believes at nine years old, they believe for the rest of their life. So, um, that's really important. Any other set, stuff? I think, so we've got some time. So, I, don't, I know it's the afternoon and you're starting to like, your Italian sub is just fading into Hi, Harry. Yes. Oh, that's cool. And it, you Absolutely. The Bible Project is so good. We talked about it in our last session. Um, it's overviews of, of biblical books and biblical ideas. So they'll take a concept like the Torah and they'll walk out what that means um, in the Bible or, or demons. They did one on demons um, and angels. And they'll take those things. But it's, this, it's a cartoon. 
is what it is. And it's the most engaging thing you'll ever watch. So helpful. And it's real scholars who are doing the talking, but it's not, it's not high flute in terms. Like this is all very, very useful, very helpful. Um, I love, when I start a new book, I'm always watching the Gospel Project thing to get my brain into that book, um, to get my brain into that thought, that idea. So, any other questions? I know.